the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show here in the 5 o'clock hour, our third hour. We are grateful. I am Hugh Hallman, and I am joined by Lewis Hallman, my much smarter, better looking, and more effective son. Say hello, Lewis. Hello, Lewis. Very good. And uh, we are going into our typical uh, topic for our third hour. It is COVID time. Uh, so pull open the brew, uh, pop the lid, and here we will have COVID time to discuss what's new in COVID. And I get to start uh, because Lewis had to handle uh, Afghanistan for two hours. It's my turn to, to take over COVID. He's the one who does the numbers a lot better than I do. So I have to just uh, make stuff up. I'm kidding. In this instance, what we want to talk about is the fact that we've been living in a society in the U.S. in which the experts want to be absolutely correct all the time, but they can only talk about one facet of any particular problem, even when it's many, many multiple facets. So it's Lewis calls it, it's having an algebra brain in a... Uh, in, in a, a calculus world. In a calculus world. So we've got to have simultaneity, uh, the ability to solve... Uh, many problems at once, uh, simultaneous equations, those kinds of things. And in this instance, what we've had going on is first, uh, this is going to kill us all without looking at data that would tell us what the real mortality would be. We've talked about that for now 18 months, about the fact that the U.S. government and state governments continue to collect data about the number of people who've died and then divide that by the number of people who've been tested for COVID and say that that's the mortality rate. Of course, the cases that we know of are people who have symptoms because if you're asymptomatic, you typically don't get tested. You're not sick. Why would you go run, get a test? In fact, early on, people were told they should not get a test unless they were in great, great difficulty. Well, so now we have bad data that tells us uh, that for the state of Arizona, for example, the uh, mortality rate is 2% of all people who have a case of COVID. Well, that's not true. Why? Because we're not testing people who are asymptomatic, which means that there are a huge number of people out there who have likely been infected by SARS-CoV-2, had, quote, the disease, unquote, but had no symptoms. They're asymptomatic. The studies that have been done over the last 18 months, the few of them that have been done, tell us that it could be between 50 and 80 percent of the people who have had the virus uh, don't show symptoms. And so if you take your mortality rate of 2 percent of all cases and you do the right math, that tells you that instead of having a 2 percent mortality rate, you have potentially a 0.4 percent mortality rate. Can I do the next part? I really Please, like this Lou. So that's half of the, the adjustment. There's another piece to this as well, and that is how do we count deaths? Now, the United States has used, as did many countries— I thought in, it was like Monty Python. I'm not dead yet. Yes, you are. Boom. Okay, go ahead, Luke. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> so the U.S. uses a 60-day standard when it counts deaths. That means if you've tested positive for COVID and you expire within 60 days— of testing positive, you are counted as a COVID death. Even if you drop dead of a heart attack. Or were shot or whatever else. That's called blood, uh, uh, blood poisoning, yeah. Right, right. Lead poisoning. So other countries uh, uh, around the world use a, an entirely different standard. The UK, as uh, does most of Europe, they use a 28-day standard instead of a 60-day standard. Now, 
It's a big difference. How big a difference is it, Lewis? Well, they ran a study. There was an Oxford study about the time they switched over in August of last year, so about 12 months ago. Uh And they found that depending on the period, between 40 and 60% of the listed deaths dropped out of the sample if you go from a 60-day standard to a 28-day standard. So if you're at a 0.4 mortality and you cut it by half again, it's 0.2, which is not very much different from the flu. So now we have panic uh, and surprise throughout our land and throughout the world about the potential for a mortality rate that's much greater as stated than it might actually be. We merely ask the question. We have the ability to undertake studies to figure out how many asymptomatic cases are out there, how many people likely have been contaminated with this, and now it makes a difference today because we are seeing breakthrough cases and we could talk about the likelihood of somebody having a case of COVID when they've been vaccinated and what percentage of the population of those vaccinated people might be asymptomatic and we'd get a much better data set. But we've also got somebody waiting for us on the line and that is so who wanted to talk about breakthrough cases. Sonia, you're on the air. Hi, yeah, I just wondered if there was any kind of a statistic, clean or dirty, that really talked about the actual number of breakthrough cases, you know, either hospitalized or even just testing positive or death um, or all three. So Lewis has been looking for it. I've been looking for it. And here's what Lewis will report so far, Sonia. So the you're not going to find it all in one place. One of the big challenges with getting this data together is that every state, every agency collects its data differently using different standards and different rules. And so only, I think, 24 or 28 of the uh, uh, states are actually currently collecting breakthrough case data. And so that means that we're not even getting any results for almost half of the country on, on, you know, on, on this point here. In addition, they're collecting it in a way that it's not clear that they're doing a very good job of it. You do have to collect some additional information when you're seeing patients and add that to databases that have not yet been set up to uh, to identify people who have been vaccinated and then have uh, tested positive for SARS-CoV-2 uh, and ultimately COVID get the disease. Uh, even if you don't get the disease, meaning you have COVID, uh, COVID-19, you still could be positive for SARS-CoV-2. That is somebody who's got the virus but doesn't fall prey to the disease. That's one of the challenges we have right now. So unfortunately, some of the most valuable data we could get currently is not being collected effectively. Why? This is kind of like the issue about Afghanistan. Did Joe Biden know that it was going to be a disaster and just not care? Are there people out there now who understand that we should be gathering clear, clean data that tells us what's your likelihood of getting SARS-CoV-2 being contaminated with the virus and then developing COVID if you've been vaccinated? The little bits of information we have so far are things like this. The state of Israel uh, the, the nation of Israel, calling itself the state of Israel, is uh, using the old term, uh, started undertaking an examination of its vaccinated population and taking a look at the antibodies that people have having been vaccinated. Certainly those of us who got COVID-19 or were contaminated with SARS-CoV-2 and developed antibodies the natural way uh, occasionally have gotten tested for antibodies to see how long they last. And uh, early on, people were reporting uh, having some protection for 9, 10, 12 months. 
Unfortunately, that does dissipate. Well, it should not be a surprise. SARS-CoV-2, which causes COVID-19, is not the only SARS-CoV virus out there. MERS is an example of a SARS-CoV virus. So is SARS. Those are both viruses that, just like SARS-CoV-2, um, are a, a COV virus, but it, neither of those have been transmitted the way they are. We'll come back to this uh, in another segment and talk about how is it that we've got a, a, a virus with this huge gain of function different from other classes of COV viruses uh, that's a little bit... Uh, 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 repetitious there, SARS-CoV viruses. But the point is, how is it that we have this huge gain of function in this particular COV when SARS and MERS did not have that kind of result? You've got SARS and MERS that caused great concern in the planet, but it's only tens of thousands of cases, and it did not have the gain of function to jump around and move from people person to person as easily. Now we've got something, and we need to have this conversation. How did that happen? But with respect to the data, the, the state of Israel ultimately concluded that by six months in the early data they've, they've disclosed, in the first six months after vaccination, the vaccines uh, have something more like about a 34, 35% efficacy rate. Well, that tells you that if you've been vaccinated, that after six months, if you're hanging around people who are contaminated with SARS-CoV-2, you have some better chance of actually picking it up. We also have some data that suggests that if you have been vaccinated, you do get an extra level of protection if you do get uh, SARS-CoV-2. That is, if you get contaminated with the virus, you're less likely to have severe outcomes. Well, we're seeing some of that in the data now in the state of Arizona. We'll talk about that when we come back. We'd like you to join the conversation. If you're interested in how things with SARS-CoV-2 are going, we'd like you to be part of that conversation. Call us at 602-508-0960. We're going to pick that up after the break, talk about how is it that this SARS-CoV-2 has a gain of function very different than other COVs, that is, CO viruses. How is it that the state of Arizona continues to stumble around sometimes better than other states, and in this instance, probably better than most? How is it that the governor of Texas is now uh, positive for SARS-CoV-2 and other similar questions? Please join us. I'm Hugh Hallman. He's Lewis Hallman. We're going to pick this up after the break. We're thankful to Seth Liebson for letting us fill in on the Seth Liebson Show here on KKNT 960, The Patriot. Ah, that's good stuff. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm Hugh Hallman, joined by Lewis Hallman. Just before the break, we were talking about the fact that we've got a SARS-CoV, a a COVirus, that uh, is jumping from person to person much more effectively. It's now mutated into the Delta variant, which seems to move from person to person much more effectively than the earlier variants. It does look like it's not as lethal as evidenced by the data we're seeing in the state of Arizona and even across the country and, frankly, across the world. Breathlessly, reporters keep talking about that the Delta variant is now uh, making up most of the cases. Well, that's true. But it's still all still COVID, and it's still all with the SARS-CoV-2. It's just a different variant. The real question is, why is it we can't seem to have a conversation on how the COV, the SARS-CoV-2 This virus has a very different function, a gain of function, 
that is different from what we see in SARS uh, and in MERS. We have these other COVs that have existed before, and they don't have nearly this transmissibility. Well, there recently was an example of our federal government and the leader mouthpiece of that federal government, Anthony Fauci, demonstrating the unwillingness to have these kinds of conversations. Here we have Rand Paul, senator, uh, in a conversation with Anthony Fauci. Chris, give us the audio. Viruses that in nature only infect animals were manipulated in the Wuhan lab to gain the function of infecting humans. This research fits the definition of the research that the NIH said was subject to the pause in 2014 to 2017, a pause in funding on gain of function. But the NIH failed to recognize this, defines it away, and it never came under any scrutiny. Dr. Richard E. Bright, a molecular biologist from Rutgers, described this research in Wuhan as, the Wuhan lab used NIH funding to construct novel chimeric SARS-related coronaviruses able to infect human cells and laboratory animals. This is high-risk research that creates new potential pandemic pathogens, potential pandemic pathogens that exist only in the lab, not in nature. This research matches, these are Dr. Ebright's words, this research matches, indeed epitomizes, the definition of -of gain-of-function research done entirely in Wuhan, for which there was supposed to be a federal pause. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. This paper that you are referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain of function. So what was? Let me take, finish. You take an animal virus and you increase its transmissibility to humans. Right. You're saying that's not gain of function. Yeah, that is correct. And and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly. And I want to say that officially, you do not know what you are talking about. Let's okay, you get NIH. one person. Let's read from the NIH definition of gain of function. This is your definition that you guys wrote. It says that scientific research that increases the transmissibility among mammals is gain of function. They took animal viruses that only occur in animals and they increased their transmissibility to humans. How you can say that is not gain of function? It is not. It's a dance and you're dancing around this because you're trying to obscure responsibility for four million people dying around the world from a pandemic. We'll stop right there. I think you get the point. You did not hear Anthony Fauci say that the paper was judged up and down the chain as being false. He was saying and trying to split hairs that the paper describing what was going on in the Wuhan lab was not, quote, gain of function, unquote, research. They go on to talk about the fact, and the the issue really is this, that millions of dollars were supplied through U.S. organizations to NGOs that ultimately supplied dollars to China to undertake other research, which allowed dollars to be shifted at the Wuhan lab to this kind of research that ultimately was undertaken. This is something we've talked about here on the show before, where this whole trick really relies on the fact that money is fungible 
So you can imagine an NGO might have two non-governmental organization, yeah. by the way. It might have two budget items. The first is, I think, uh, uh, tongue depressors was the example I used. And the other is gain-of-function coronavirus research. And so if the federal government writes them a $20 million check for tongue depressors, then this frees up $20 million from that budget to go into the coronavirus gain-of-function research. And so despite the fact that the check that we wrote was not for gain-of-function research, it had the consequence of funding it. And so now we have uh, across the world a virus that is uh, not only infected human beings in the first instance, but now has uh, mutated some, and it is now more transmissible, it appears. The advantage for the moment is that, of course, it is not it does not appear to be as lethal as earlier variants. The interesting thing that uh, occurs in human history is that as diseases make their way through the human population, we find that they tend to uh, soften their impacts. Why? This is actually a, a, a Darwinian problem. It's a, a part of evo what's called evolutionary game theory, just to try to avoid being too overwhelming with this. But basically what happens is... You already overwhelmed is, me with your shirt, Lou, so go ahead. Fair enough. Uh, uh, so what happens is... is a virus passes through the population. Now, when it infects a new host, one of two things can happen. It can either kill the host or it cannot kill the host. If it kills the host, then the host is no longer alive within the population, symptomatically spreading the virus to other members of the population. So if I kill someone with COVID, they're no longer coughing, they're no longer sneezing, they're no longer transmitting droplets. So all infections or most infections at the very least, come from those viruses that did not previously kill their hosts before they were able to spread the disease to other parts of the population. This causes sort of a snowball effect where you get selective pressure for the less deadly versions of viruses over time. And so ultimately, uh, as the hand-wringing continues that we're sure to get a variant that's more deadly and will kill us all faster... Uh, the the historic standard really is that the opposite occurs. Why? As Lewis explained, if a virus becomes too deadly too quickly, it, uh, it kills, kills its hosts and therefore it doesn't get the chance to spread. So the survival of the fittest doesn't mean the strongest. The survival of the fittest means it is best suited for the environment to propagate and continue. And so if things are too successful in their strength, they might actually cut their own noses off despite their face. Uh, we want to continue having this conversation. We invite you to join the conversation about COVID. Many of you might be in your cars getting home from work. Uh, we certainly don't want you to violate the uh, law about uh, talking while driving. So anybody calling us from the car, please pull over. And of course, I'm sure you all will. We do hope you'll continue to join us in this conversation here on KKNT 960, The Patriot. Please give us a call at 602 508 0960. I'm Hugh Hallman, uh, a former politician, uh, political has-been, some would say, maybe and never was. Uh, and I am joined by my uh, much smarter, better looking and much better dressed son, Lewis. We hope you'll join us uh, just after this break. Uh, we look forward to it. Thank you, Seth Liebson, for letting us host your beautiful Seth Liebson show. We'll be right back. A great voice for all ages. I'm Hugh Hallman, joined by Lewis Hallman. We are filling in for our good friend Seth Liebson on the Seth Liebson Show here on KKNT 960. 
We hope you'll join the conversation. But we were just discussing the fact that here we have a new variant of COVID-19 built off of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, the Delta variant, that seems to be spreading from person to person much more effectively than the original version, which, as you heard before the break, uh, in a nice sparring match between Senator Rand Paul and Anthony Fauci, that uh, there is no uh, objection to the point that the Wuhan lab was working on gain-of-function research. It's merely that uh, Anthony Fauci prefers to split hairs about what he calls gain-of-function research. Uh, In this instance, we've got a new variant uh, that has morphed from old versions that now seems to be the dominant variant, and it's spread about. But from what we see in the numbers, and that is, of course, our stock in trade, Uh, we see that this variant does not look to be as lethal. And there are a couple of reasons for that, it looks like. One reason is that uh, in Arizona, at least 54% of the population is vaccinated, and it does appear that breakthrough cases are happening, but those people who are vaccinated are having less severe consequences from this particular variant. In addition... I did some back-of-the-napkin work on that rate, by the way. Please. Breakthrough cases, and it appears that the rate of spread is between uh, 5 and 15-fold less for vaccinated people, so between one-fifth and one-fifteenth of the rate of, uh, of spread in Maricopa County. And so Lewis actually took the time to pull the data apart for, the, uh, for Maricopa County to try to figure out uh, the likelihood of spread from vaccinated people. And you just heard his numbers. Again, he said it's back of the napkin precisely because the data pool that's available to us is pretty thin, and he's got to make some assumptions about the data and how to read it. But with that said, let's just accept for the moment that people who have been vaccinated can still get uh, be infected by SARS-CoV-2 and may not show symptoms but can spread the virus. That's why now our one uh, uh, facet government is going into overdrive about requiring people who have been vaccinated to wear masks still. That is because they failed to tell us all and lied about the fact that the vaccines that were being created were not permanent, that there would be some drop-off in effectiveness over time. Well, why should that be a surprise? Do you not, if you get a vaccine every year for the flu, get a vaccine every year for the flu? There's a reason for that. It's because the antibodies we develop for the typical flu fall off after a little while. And once the flu season passes, you don't really worry about it. But when the flu season starts up again, you have to get a vaccine in order to avoid getting the flu that year. And we're not surprised by this. We have variants that are created in the flu population. That is the viruses that create the flu morph and change over time. So every year the vaccine has to be tweaked and it's not perfect. Why isn't it perfect? Because folks in the lab are guessing at what the next variant's going to look like based on their uh, computer models and trying to come up with a vaccine that is most likely to fit the new variant. And they don't always get it as close as they'd like to. Well, here we have the SARS-CoV vaccines. They're not perfect. And like a uh, flu vaccine, they drop off effectiveness over time. The only society that's done a great job looking at it so far is Israel and their research done months and months ago, announced in the end of July, was that they were seeing a fairly significant drop-off after six months. So they opened up the opportunity for 65 and older citizens to get 
uh, a third booster shot, and uh, that's gone very, very well in Israel. Well, the people who are vaccinated here are highly likely providing some of the herd immunity efforts uh, to prevent the spread. In addition, a lot of us have gotten COVID-19, have been infected by SARS-CoV-2. All of that together means that we have a less uh, less severe spike, and the numbers suggest that. So, for example, hospitalizations peaked uh, on August 9th from this last round. Uh, they were as high, actually, August 1st uh, uh, in this first round, and they've been coming down ever since. Do we trust the data? No. There may be hidden numbers out there that we still don't have because our state is not particularly good at collecting the data. Deaths uh, as of March 1st were 24, and there have been fewer since. But we also know that the state doesn't report all the deaths in a day. On that day, they report deaths from a long period of time, and every day they announce new amounts of deaths that were not from that particular day, but were from prior days. Uh, Currently, we have an hospitalization Uh, In our ICUs across the state, we do have 399 Arizonans and others who were visiting in our ICUs with COVID, but that still leaves 188 or 11% of the ICU beds empty, with 67% of those beds filled with other diseases. In our inpatient beds, we have similar numbers. We're going to talk about this when we come back. We'll look forward to speaking with you after the break. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am Lewis Holman, joined by Hugh Holman as we fill in for our dear, dear friend Seth Liebson. We've been talking today about the withdrawal from Afghanistan in our usual stock and trade this hour, which is COVID-19 updates. Apparently, we bored you all because we don't have any callers. You're welcome to call in on this topic. but we were we were discussing now that uh, uh, you made a prediction, I think, last week, Dad, that... On Tuesday of last week, I predicted that uh, given what Israel had done in its research, that the U.S. government would start uh, talking about the need to allow people to get uh, booster shots. And the next day, the U.S. government announced that it was going to start looking at booster shots. But now, Lou... All right. Well, we are not a... Uh, this is not a sports talk radio uh, station, but I would like to ask the audience for an over-under here. I suspect that within 10 days, the federal government will make ready uh, uh, the option for 65 and ups to start getting booster shots like they did in Israel. I think that's exactly right. Israel's given about a, a million booster shots to its 65 and over population, and others are now going to be uh, made available. Interestingly, the World Health Organization is now berating the United States for even thinking about giving booster shots. Now, first, you don't have to get a vaccine. We're not sitting here saying everybody's got to get a vaccine, that we ought to be mandating it. In fact, Lewis and I are hor- horrified when the federal government or the state government starts mandating behaviors. But Our research suggests that if you get vaccinated, you're much less likely to get the disease, especially during the time that you have full immunity from the disease over six months. And a booster shot looks like it helps. In Israel, it looks to be two and a half times a better position in reducing your likelihood of getting uh, SARS-CoV-2 contaminated if you've had a booster shot after six months. But moreover... uh, We also know that the people who were most in need of getting vaccinated and protected were people 65 and over. And 85 percent of the population uh, in that age range has been vaccinated. And so we know that the people who need to get vaccinated are taking care of it. Folks with comorbidities and other things like that. Two notes on that, actually, because that's a really that's a really good point that that I want to make very explicit is that. 
the big reductions that we've been seeing in mortality have been as a result of of uh, vaccination amongst our more vulnerable demographics. But not not only this. Um, well, some people say that if you get uh, vaccinated, you're more likely to die of COVID-19. Right. And that's Why exactly, don't you explain it? That's exactly what I want to talk about. Because so what we have to remember between the vaccinated and unvaccinated populations is that they are they are very, very different populations. The unvaccinated are generally much younger. So in Maricopa County, for instance, the average unvaccinated person is 35 years old, where the average vaccinated person is almost 50 years old. Just from that difference alone, you would expect that if a vaccinated person catches COVID and an unvaccinated catches COVID, that the vaccinated person, just because they're that much older, would be about 20 times more likely to die of SARS-CoV-2, of, of COVID-19. And so... Explain that in terms of the demographic population of sure. the enhancement as you get older. Right. And and so the, the reason I, I make that claim is that the bulk of COVID fatalities have happened amongst the very, very old. So 80% of our COVID fatalities are people 65 and over. Right. And, and another way to think about it is that roughly for every 10 years older you are, you have about a tenfold, you're 10 times as likely to die of COVID if you get it. So while it is modestly dangerous for the very, very old, you can sort of roll back that risk and discount it the younger you are and you start to, th- to, to calculate that it's very, very unlikely. Rich has a different view on this. Rich, we're going to bring you in so you can make your point. You got to make it quick because we have to go to a break. But please, you think uh, that if you get vaccinated, you're more likely to get Delta. Go ahead and tell us why. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my call. I was vaccinated in February with the Moderna double two shots. Um, I recently traveled last weekend to Oklahoma, get my daughter in school there and get her all set up. She ended up coming down with it. And two, three days later, she's doing fine now. Good, good. Glad to hear it. Two, three days later. Yeah, two, three days later, um, I had a minor fever and just felt a little clammy. My ex-wife was with us. She also uh, was not vaccinated. Um, I'm 67. She's a lot younger, but um, she's got a little bit of a fever and all. But for me, it wasn't even near as bad as the common cold um you know just hardly noticed any uh symptoms at all just a little little bit of a cough what what were your daughter's symptoms compared to yours um she had some respiratory issues um and you know is um she does have diabetes and you know there could be other comorbidities sure. there, but had she been she vaccinated? I mi- I missed that point. Had she been no. vaccinated? Okay. So no, your your ex wife and your daughter were ni- neither of them were vaccinated, but you were. Yes, and yeah. all three of us got it. Yeah. Um, so you're a breakthrough case, and and I'll tell you, I was traveling recently with uh, um, eleven people, all of whom were vaccinated, three of whom ended up uh, coming down with uh, uh, COVID nineteen, and uh, it's a similar case. All of them had fairly mild symptoms. 
And the issue really is, I think, breakthrough cases are going to be increasing. I think the federal government is doing no favor in trying to encourage people to get vaccinated by claiming that uh, there are no, uh, it's a very small probability breakthrough case. It depends on when you were vaccinated. And, and Rich, you were vaccinated seven months ago. And so it's not a huge surprise to me based on the data Lewis and I have been collecting and certainly uh, what uh, Israel's uh, reporting and uh, data collection proves that uh, over time, these vi- these vaccines are not holding their full strength and they dissipate in their effectiveness. And so if you've been vaccinated, you might need to get a booster shot. Does that mean you shouldn't get vaccinated in the first instance? Lewis's point, I think, is an important one. The reason that the probability if you're an older person and get SARS-CoV-2 and end up with COVID that you might have a bad outcome is not because you've been vaccinated, but because you are a much older person. And those of us like you and me, Rich, I'm pushing 60. uh, We're probably well served to have gotten vaccinated and probably well served to get a booster shot. Uh, I'm not here saying again that anybody has to get vaccinated, but I've made that decision for me. My wife made it for her. Uh, Lewis made his decision the way he wants to make it, and others should be encouraged to do the same. But you ought to know the real information and facts. So you're feeling okay now, Rich? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have asthma. I have other issues. But uh, my question to you, though, is would a person who did not get the original vaccine get a booster shot or no? I think they need to get vaccinated first before a booster shot right? uh, in order for it to have a full effect. The booster shot really is effectively the third shot you get. Now, if you get Johnson and Johnson, you get one shot. uh, And there's clear evidence that getting only one shot of the Moderna or the Pfizer uh, is uh, of value. So even if you only get one of those shots, it's of value. Uh, There are a lot of these kinds of issues. Rich, thank you very much for the call, by the way. Glad to know that you're recovering well, that your ex-wife is recovering well, and more important, that your daughter is recovering well. Uh, We do appreciate the the uh, opportunity to be with you today. We've had the delight of filling in for our good friend, Seth Liebson. He is away on uh, a short and well-deserved vacation. Uh, we look for him, uh, look forward to him coming back. I'm Hugh Hallman. He's Lewis Hallman. We're going to wrap up the show here in just a moment after this break. Thank you for being with us on this beautiful afternoon and sharing some of your time and thoughts with us. We'll be right back. Wow, ripping it. Well, thank you for joining us on the Seth Liebson Show. I'm Hugh Hallman. We're grateful to our friend uh, Seth Liebson for letting us fill in. We've just got a couple of minutes, and I think it's uh, time for Lewis to figure out how to close us out. We talked about Afghanistan in the first two hours and and how we had uh, geniuses figuring out how to exit uh, Afghanistan brilliantly and turn this into a mess. We've had COVID-19 raging in our country since February of 2020. And uh, the Biden administration has taken over the uh, equipment. They're running the show and uh, have created the exit for Afghanistan and now uh, are whining about the fact that uh, people don't want to get vaccinated and they can't quite seem to articulate uh, what might be the right course of action to take. Gee, Joe, I thought you were in charge. But, Lewis, why don't you take us out? So. I think a lot of the the issues that we've been seeing and struggling with together as a nation have a common core at their root. And it really is that we have a problem in this country with experts uh, in that we are we are we have put so much stock in the federal government now 
uh, as opposed to 50, 60, 70 years ago, to be this omnipotent, omniscient force in our lives and to solve our problems. And we, we expect more and more to come out of it. And yet we, we forget that it is led by people, filled of people, made of people with their own desires, constituencies, and impulses. And so we have to rely on these experts to be our agents for us and not betray our interest. And yet we are left with unspeakable outcomes. How is it possible that we trained and equipped an army of 300,000 only to have them shatter before the Taliban? How is it possible that we have the best and brightest scientific minds in the world and we cannot come up with a cogent social policy to constrain this pandemic? Why are we being turned towards each other? Why are we told that Republicans, the unvaccinated, are the, to blame for COVID when the state bears responsibility for arbitrating and dealing with the crisis? Why, why, why are we being constantly pushed at each other's throats when these experts that stand over us and dictate our policy go unaccounted for and undealt with? Well, I look at it this way, Lewis. As a longtime uh, mayor and member of a city council, I learned early on that the experts in that environment, particularly city managers, were like guys driving a truck. They had a cage with birds in the back of the truck, seven of them, the mayor and council, sitting on the perches. As long as they kept them stirred up, fluttering about the uh, cage, there was no weight actually on the perches or on the cage. And the truck is a whole lot easier to drive as long as you can keep the uneducated uh, uh, folks uh, at one another's throats. That may be what our experts are doing now. We've got folks in Washington, D.C. happily causing us to be at one another's throats, angry at one another for being vaccinated or not vaccinated, wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, and everything else that goes with it. Instead, ladies and gentlemen, we all need to grab arms, link arms, and go back at those experts and take this back over. Thanks for being with us. God bless. Class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.